Welcome to Element if you're new. Uh, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes, once again, on the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. On the inside, you're going to get a short recap and some questions about what we talk about today. On the back side, you're going to get a place to take some notes and the verses that we're going to cover. Uh, though, if you have a smart device, you can download an app, and it's called Uversion. You click on More and then Events and Uversion, and we'll come up by GPS in your smart device, and you will get those verses. You will get the announcements that Sarah talked about. If there's any QR codes you need, they're all going to be in there. Really, everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors of Element. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? And I know I just jumped right into it today. Don't worry. It's not going to be an extra long message or anything. Just wipe your brow. You're going to be okay. All right. This is Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, and it says this. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Let's pray. Father, today we ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who trust in the good news that you have given us and that we would live and walk in that good news, that it would infuse all that we say, all that we do, how we think, how we feel, all of our interactions, that would come back to the place that we understand your great and good rescue over us. And you would in turn be glorified and we would live in the joy that you provide. Amen. Have a seat. Right, so we are doing a series of the New Testament book of Galatians. This is week two. You only got 24 more weeks left. If you have an element Bible, you can open to page 631 because that's where we're going to be today. Going to take a little bit to get there. Uh, Galatians is written to a, some churches in a particular area. Today it's South Central Turkey. Back then it was Greece. And Paul is addressing a doctrinal issue in the midst of these churches. They started in a place where they understood grace, what the good news of the gospel actually is. But then they started to listen to false teaching and false teachers. Now, this tends to happen a lot when people do not ground themselves in the scriptures and they don't spend time with God. What we do is we start to listen to all sorts of voices around us that center on ourselves or how we feel rather than on who God is. Now, if you break it down in its simplest form, the gospel is an announcement of good news. That's what a gospel was. You're announcing good news that would make a change in a person's life. And the good news that we announce is that Jesus Christ came and he died in our place. But when you say that, a lot of people today say, what does that mean, Jesus died in my place? That's so weird. Well, this is the message of the cross. We are a people who have run from relationship with God. We broke relationship, and on our own, we can do nothing to restore that relationship with a good and holy God. And so Jesus comes in our place. He lives the life that we could never live, and he does this thing called imputation. He imputes to us that righteousness of his life as a gift, and he takes away all that separated us from God and from one another, namely our sin. This is an act of grace that he does in the cross and in the resurrection. And by faith, we put our trust in him, and we get restoration with God. We get new life. Again, it is all found in Jesus. That's the gospel. So the, church, the churches in Galatia, they believed that message. They believed in grace. But as usually happens, some different teachings started to come in from these false teachers. And they said there is more that you need to do, not just trusting in Christ, but you had to do more that would entail your salvation. And so Paul's churches that he planted are starting to be destroyed from the inside out. Now, N.T. Wright gives a great analogy of what this looks like. He says, imagine you're in South Africa in the 1970s. You have a part Apartheid and segregation and racism, it's at its height. And in the middle of that, you decide to embark on this really risky project. You are going
going to build a community center right in the middle of all of that where everybody's equally welcome. You're going to build one room where everybody comes into, regardless of their skin color, what tribe they come from. And so you design it and you lay a foundation in such a way that only that building can be built. But then you're called away to a different part of the world, so you have to go because of an emergency. Now, while you're gone, what happens is these people send you a letter and they say, hey, some people have shown up and they're starting to build on your foundation. And you're thinking, great, you're not all jealous. It's not like the Monopoly switch. Okay, you're all, you're all excited. Yes, someone's going to finish the building that I started. But then you read on and then the letter, they start to tell you that they're actually changing your design. And they're installing two different meeting rooms with two front doors, one for whites and one for blacks. And there are many people in the community who are relieved. They're like, oh, my goodness, that thing that that guy was going to build, that was going to cause so much trouble. Oh, we're so much happier now. But some people are really saddened. And they go to the people who are building on your foundation and say, why are you changing this? And they say, well, the guy who laid that foundation didn't really understand what he was building. They didn't really understand how it's supposed to be built. He didn't have the permits or the permission for this design, but we're from the real authorities, and this is how it's supposed to be built. And everybody says, well, I'm a little sad, but if that's the way it's supposed to be and you're from the authority, I guess that's how it's supposed to be done. Now, this is what kind of happens to Paul. Paul goes in and he plants these churches in Turkey. You know, Back then, it's Greece, and this is during the reign of the Roman emperor Claudius. No matter what town you're in or trade guild you're in, there's all these different gods and goddesses that people worship. But the Emperor Claudius is pushing really strongly at this time for the cult that is centered around emperor worship. So you could worship any gods you wanted as long as you also worship the Emperor Claudius. The Jews refused to worship anybody that wasn't God alone. They got a special dispensation. There's a whole historical thing about that. I'm not going to go into it. You're welcome. But suffice to say there's a lot of tension of these Jewish people in these cities and all these gods and the emperor worship. So you have these Jews and Paul comes in and he starts establishing different churches that come out of these synagogues as they talk about how the, who the one true God really is. And you don't have to have all these divisions anymore. We can actually all be part of one family. And so Paul starts building this church. People start believing. They start coming in. He lays this foundation by explaining what the gospel truly is, what salvation truly entails, how it came about. And again, according to Paul, there is one God. He is the world's creator, and this is standard fare for Jews. And this one God has now unveiled his long-awaited plan for mankind, and that is in Jesus. Paul says, in Jesus, this Jewish Messiah, he is the king of the whole world, the king you've been waiting for. Well, that's actually Jesus. That flies in the face of the Emperor Claudius cult, if you, if you can imagine. Jesus was executed by the Romans, which is what they did to any other king. But then Jesus is raised from the dead. And Paul says that in Jesus' death and resurrection, from a result of that, God is now building a brand new family on this earth, a single family with no divisions. There's not one table for Jews and one table for Gentiles. There's not one front door for one people and one back door for another people. There, there is not this division between everybody. It is one single people. Jewish teaching said that when the Messiah came, he'd be the Lord of the whole world. And a lot of the Jews said, that's right, we're going to be in control because he's our Messiah. But no, the result of what Jesus did was make one family in the world. And that one family is the result of what God had promised. And because of Jesus, you don't have to be Jewish to be part of that family. Everyone's invited no matter where you are born, what your past looked like, uh, what place you held in society. And this is what the gospel does. 
the gospel unifies. It brings people together around Christ. It stops all of the divisions. The God of Israel is the God of the world. Paul lays that foundation, and he goes off to plant more churches. While he's planting more churches, he gets thrown in jail. But even more bad news comes when Paul's in jail, because just like that analogy, other people came in, and they started to build on Paul's foundation that he laid down. And they would say the same thing. Paul really didn't know what he was doing. Paul didn't know what he was saying. The gospel he preached, that's not the sanctioned good news. Paul didn't hit his authority from the apostles in Jerusalem, which he actually did. But anyway, Paul, there's a, Paul's going to get in a whole lot of trouble because the mothership in Jerusalem is going to hear about this. They're not going to be happy. They most likely also said that Paul didn't understand what he had been taught, so he's sharing it wrongly. And so they would say, we have the real gospel. We have the real good news. We're from the real authorities. And what did they say? Well, they started off in a good place. They would say, we believe Jesus is the Messiah. Yay! But then they would say, we can't have Jewish believers and Gentile believers thinking they're part of the same family. They can't come together. You know, if the Gentiles want to be part of the inner circle, well, they've got to follow the law. And if you're a male, that means you have to be circumcised, and everybody else has to follow the law. The, the law said that Jews and Gentiles, because one was unclean, was to be kept apart from one another. Again, in the gospel, God is now bringing everybody together because of Christ's sacrifice. And this is why last week, if you were here, Paul started the way that he did. He starts by laying down who he is, why he has the authority to preach what he does, what the gospel actually is. The people trying to tear down Paul's teaching are claiming that Paul was a secondhand apostle. Oh, he wasn't really sent by Jesus. They're telling people that they got their power and authority from that mothership in Jerusalem, from the original apostles like Peter and James, the brother of Jesus. And that's why Paul states his apostleship, his commission to preach the gospel, to build this church, to bring this family together that all comes from God himself and Jesus as the Messiah. See, for Paul, the gospel isn't a system of salvation. It's not a particular set of things that you do in order to make God love you. It's the announcement. This is what God has done in Christ. Jesus is the crucified Messiah that rose from the grave. He is exalted, and he's calling into himself a brand new single worldwide family. That's the result of the gospel. And Paul says, you must be aware of the imitations because anything that is less than the true gospel is no gospel. It's no good news at all. And it's going to lead to curses and not blessing. Now, some people will say, well, can't anybody just show up and say, oh, I learned from God. Jesus taught me. You should all trust my words. Doesn't that sound like a cult leader like Waco, Texas or Jim Jones or whoever's following whatever comet's coming over nowadays? That's what they all say. They're like, why wasn't Paul considered a cult leader? And, you know, why, why does he say, I'm an apostle, trust my words, because that could sound controlling. Now, I'm going to deal with that in just a couple of weeks, but suffice to say, Paul does not do what he does for money, power, or fame. His goal is not to be the king of these people, to get a bunch of groupies around himself that hang on his every word. Everything Paul does is for these people to live in freedom. He doesn't want control. He wants them following who Christ is. He's not asking these people to sell their homes and give them the money and move into his hippie commune where free love and this is how you do it. That's not what he's doing. Paul is not excluding anyone. 
what he's doing, he's inviting everybody in because of the good news. And again, he tells them that in the gospel, Jesus has done everything for our life and our salvation. There is not a work we must now do to enter into relationship with God, to be adopted into his family. The other people that Paul are going to call out, they are the ones who are excluding people. You've got to do these things, and if you don't, you can't be part of the family. And again, this is what false gospels do. They always divide. They always push people out. They are not inviting people in. And these false gospels that run around in the world and even today are always bringing division and not unity. They're always putting requirements on people. It's not about faith in Christ. It's about what you do. And so after we talked about what we did last week, the gospel and what it is, this is where Paul now goes. This is Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Paul then says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed really strong words but the reason paul says that he states what the gospel is and then goes into that it's like i've taught you what it is and now these people are changing that and i've told you this last week every other religion on this planet basically says here's the way to be saved follow it climb the ladder swim the stream get to the other side and if you make it well you know you got salvation on your own because you cleaned yourself up sometimes there are people who say oh i don't want to go to a church the walls would fall, fall down lightning would strike me that is not the gospel, right? We come because we are dirty, because we can't clean ourselves up. That's why we come to Christ. And he is the one who washes us, and he's the one that makes us clean. But every other religion will tell you, you've got to do that yourself. You've got to clean your own self up. We all think we can find salvation on our own, but we can't. And this is why Christianity doesn't do that. Last week I told you Christianity is unique because it does not overestimate us or our goodness. And overestimation is a very big problem in spirituality today because most people think I'm okay. And we interpret the entire world all around our own feelings. So we take what's actually true, we make it false because we're making it all about what we feel. In the gospel, what we understand is that we are always meant to reinterpret our feelings in light of the truth of God. That's what we do. Now, last week I told you about this big word. It's called epistemology. It's like, ooh, it's, it's a big word, epistemology. All that epistemology simply means is the methods and sources that we use to figure out what is true. Okay, that's what it's doing. So it's not the science of what you know. It's kind of the science of how you know or how you trust what you know. And there's three basic epistemologies. There's more. You get into nuances and the weeds with this. I'm going to give you three basic ones. The first one is that we think the intellectual authority for what we believe comes from our tribe, our family, our church, uh, whatever Twitter people you follow or whatever news or fake news sources you double down on and all your feeds. Some people say, this is where I get my truth from. I'm going to double down and this is what I'm going to believe. Other people come along and they say, my feelings are going to be my guide. I'm going to look inside. You see this in TV shows and movies all the time. What does your heart say? Follow your heart. Every time someone says something like, oh, you know what happens when you follow your heart. Your life implodes like, God, why'd you do this? And God's like, you're following your own heart, man. <laughs> so this is let your conscience be your guide. Okay, this is terrible because serial killers let their conscience be their guide. Then what they do is okay. Now, the third way you can look at things in the world where you get your truth is the gospel. 
is the gospel. We view everything through the lens of what Jesus did by dying and rising from the grave. That can inform all that we know. It will change our relationships. It will lead us to be a people of grace and hope and life in the world. And when false teaching comes with the real gospel as our guide, false teaching is just going to stand out. We don't let our consciences just be our guide. We don't let just our tradition be our guide. We let what Paul says be our guide, what the gospel actually is, the revelation of Jesus himself in the gospel and what it means. And so today what I'm going to do is this might be very negative for you, and I'm not going to apologize for that, uh, but I'm going to talk about eight different false gospels in the world right now. And hopefully because you, we've talked about what the gospel is, you will pick out why they are false gospels. If I offend some of you, Great. All right. So here we go. Number one, false gospel called religion. It's called religion. And this is what the false teachers were bringing into Galatia. We, you know, we will pick this apart over many weeks as we start to go through the book of Galatians. But suffice to say, religion, uh, false religion of, of religion teaches that we are saved by our works. That's what it teaches you. Uh, for false teachers in Galatia, that would be getting converts to be circumcised or to follow the law. You separate yourself from others who are not like you. Don't let that evilness touch you, Ricky, Bobby. You know, make sure that you are the one who's doing okay. It always divides people because if you can live up to all the standards, you feel very prideful. You're like, what's wrong with all those other people? Maybe you can't live up to all the standards, so you always feel depressed. Why can't I be better than this? I will tell you, it rarely produces a people who are known by their joy. And we are called to be a people who are known by our joy. The joy of the Lord becomes our strength. And today there are people who say you must dress a certain way. You know, ladies, wear your dresses and doily on your head and all that. And you got to read a certain translation of the Bible. you got to abstain from culture totally or you're going to lose your salvation. Religion is always Jesus plus something. And that's a false gospel. Does that make sense? All right, three of you. All right. Second false gospel is called moralism, moralism. Uh, people today will say the point of the gospel is to make us good and moral people. Now, should we be good and moral people? people? Yes, we should be. It'd be wonderful. Now, there's this ancient heresy that infected the church, and it's been going all the way through today, and it's called Pelagianism. If I said, are you a follower of Pelagius almost Everybody say, I don't even know who that is. Okay, well, Pelagius is a guy we follow his teaching pretty closely. Interesting thing about Pelagius is that for being so bad at theology, one of his greatest opponents, a guy named Augustine, actually liked him as a person, which will go to show not all heretics are crazy, mean, abusive people. Some are simply misguided. So Pelagius was frustrated that many Christians were Christians in name only. They didn't live up to the name Christian. You ever feel like that? Yes, is that okay to say? Yeah, it's okay to say. It's okay to say. People's lives should look different when we come to follow Jesus. They, they should. And none of this should be surprising because pastors and church reformers for a thousand years now have been saying this exact same thing. But today what people do is they will use words like cheap grace. Cheap grace to surmise what Pelagius felt. Forgiveness seems way too easy. Don't you have to do all these things in order for God to, have, to love you? Don't you have to show that repentance to be forgiven? When people complain to Pelagius that they're only human, and, you know, I'm going to sin, Pelagius responded, but God gave us commandments, and he would not have given us commandments if we couldn't follow every single one of them. Now, can you imagine that? 613 commandments in the Old Testament. God gave those to you so you could follow every one. Actually, not true. 
Galatians 3.24, Paul will, in a few weeks, we'll get there, Paul will say, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. There are people today who call themselves Torah Christians, and they will hold to the Old Testament law and Jesus as Messiah and mush it together. What is interesting is that the book of Galatians directly contradicts that, and it really argues against that. Pelagius taught that a human being could keep all the commandments. Now, to be fair, he never said he did. <laughs> it's always nice, right, when you do that. He never said people he knew did, uh, anybody except for Jesus, obviously. But he taught that sinlessness was a human possibility, and we have to put forth all of the effort that we can to be sinless. He would quote the scriptures out of context. Matthew 5, 48, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Are you not perfect yet? Well, you need to work on it to become perfect. And Pelagius doesn't stop with just the Ten Commandments. He would take something like when Jesus talks to the rich young ruler and says, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Well, that is something that's attainable. We should do that. And if you want to follow Pelagius, have you done it? Have you sold everything you want to give it to the poor? I don't think so. Pelagius ended up rejecting the doctrines of the original sin, of substitutionary atonement, and justification by faith. And what he did is he emphasized unconditional free will and that we have the ability to better ourselves spiritually without grace. Now, you may not see all the ways this relates today, but some of it's really nuanced. Like today, people will use a lot of words to describe grace and salvation. Sometimes people say this, and you might even said this, I found Jesus, okay? Oh, now, I, I'm not saying you're a heretic if you've ever said that, okay? But most people, when they say that, they're in this horrible, terrible spot in their life. There's this pit they were in, they can't see out of it, and all of a sudden, boom, they find Jesus there. Like, holy cow, if that, you didn't get to that spot, he would have been lost forever. It's a good thing that you found him in that place. No, what typically happens is God shines his light on you in that place when you need to see who Jesus is. And probably from your perspective, you're thinking, I found Jesus. But no, Jesus found you where you are. That is salvation and grace from God himself. The truth is God shines his light into all of our dark, dark places because we never see Jesus without his light. Now, today in the U.S., we think things like um, God helps those who help themselves, right? We say things like that, or I just need a little help from God to get through. My life is really hard right now, and if God just gave me a little bit of help, I could do it. It's all about us. Everything is about relating to us and not living in trusting Christ, and that is a false gospel. Today, people will think, I deserve heaven because I'm good and I'm decent and I'm moral by my own definition of what good and decent moral is. And as long as I don't do anything to infringe anybody, anybody else, I smile, I'm kind, I recycle, you know, whatever it is, then I'm going to make it because I'm a good guy. That's a false gospel. Do you see why? It's not resting in Christ. It's about my work and my moralism. If I'm moral enough, well, then I'll make it. False gospel. Okay, third one. We call this the prosperity gospel. All right, this is where people believe that the gospel is there to prosper you, and the reason you know you understand the gospel and it's kind of gotten into your life is that you have money and things. A full-on prosperity gospel teaches that we are saved to be rich and happy and whole and hashtag blessed. And if we give our lives to Jesus, you will be blessed. But the way you first have to do that is you have to first give yourself. Give some money because Jesus is going to shake that up and give it back to you times 10, 20, 100, whatever it is. But you have to first give. Now, is there some truth that we are called to be a generous people? Yes, there is. We are called to be a generous people. We are called to be a people who, when we worship God, we give sacrificially because sacrifice is part of worship. And so we give sacrificially, generously, consistently, but joyfully. That's how we're called to give. 
Now, if we are a people who think that we have to give to receive blessings, well, then when's God going to bless us if we're not giving that way? And if we're truly saved, then they tell you you'll be free from a life of any type of suffering or bondage. Now, here's the problem with that. If this is true, then not even Jesus was really saved because he was homeless. And he is a Palestinian Jew who couldn't even pay his taxes. And he's betrayed by his friends and his family denied him and he's murdered on a cross. Someone once said this, if your definition of a gospel is too small to include Jesus, you missed it. And that's true. Now, on a side note, are there blessings attached to the gospel? Absolutely there are. Absolutely. Does God provide out his providence and grace for his children? Absolutely. Again, should we be a generous people? Of course we should. But if we elevate one aspect of what God does above everything else, that ends up becoming a false gospel. Okay, the next one is called the self-help gospel, and this teaches that Jesus died to make you the best version of you. Now, does Jesus want to restore us to be his image bearers in the world? Yes, of course he does. But this teaches you're not really that bad of a sinner. You simply misunderstand yourself, and so you need a little help from Jesus, and so he's there to help you. Here are seven easy ways to get you back on track to be the winner God made you to be. Now, do we do this in churches today? Of course we do. You get sermons all the time, like how to be more confident. Well, not here, <laughs> but how to be more confident. How to get out of debt. Three steps to how to be a great dad. Are any of those things bad? Should we be more confident in our witness for Christ? Of course we should. Should we get out of debt? Of course we should. Should we be good dads if you're a dad? Of course you should. And advice isn't bad, but advice is not the good news. It's not the good news. And the problem with this is it focuses just on our individual needs rather than resting in Christ's sacrifice with all that we are. And that's why it's a false gospel. I'll do this one really short. This is called the signs and wonders false gospel. This usually goes hand in hand anytime with the prosperity gospel. But really, if you are saved, you will see miracles and healings and you will heal other people. Now, do we believe in miracles? Yes, we do. We believe miracles happen. But what happens typically in something like this is people start to follow the signs and the wonders rather than following Jesus. I know people who get really involved in this and they seek certain gifts. I have to have this thing. And if I don't, I'm not really saved. We don't seek the gift. We seek the giver of the gift. And so many times this results in being a false gospel. All right. I got three left. You doing okay? Okay. All right. Uh, this is... Sixth one, this is uh, the therapeutic gospel, all right? It's kind of big today. Uh, we call this moralistic therapeutic deism, and this teaches that you don't feel great, so Jesus died to make you feel special. It's like, I'm middle class, got a decent job, drive a decent car, but there's just something missing. What is it? I need the round peg for the round hole in my heart. It's Jesus. It, it's, it's like a product. And then I feel welcomed and assured because, you know, uh, Jesus loves me, and it's nice. Now, are all those things true? Yes. Jesus loves us. We are assured of our salvation. We are welcomed in because of what he's done. But you have to understand, Jesus didn't die to make you feel special. He didn't. He didn't. That's the wrong motive. Jesus does give life and purpose and passion, but those things will come as a result of the gospel. They are not the gospel itself. And many times the gospel is purported as these things that's going to make you feel special. Here's the whole, no, we serve and love and follow Christ. And many times I will tell you when it's like, I just feel like something's missing. Many times that's God drawing you to walk deeper into relationship with him, not to find a product to fill that hole, but to step into your relationship with him and trust more fully in the gospel. All right. Number seven, don't throw anything at me. I call this the American gospel. Okay, here we go. Uh, this is I'm born an American, so I'm born a Christian. You know, America is worship. God bless America. Now, 
I have been to lots of countries on this planet. I love America. It is the best. Every time I come home, I say, thank you, God, that I was born in America. Most of the time. Okay, most of the time. Now, we have on our money this thing that says, in God we trust, right? And every once in a while, someone comes up and they want to get us to take in God we trust off our money. There's this huge thing. Oh, America, oh, it's so terrible. It's good. And God we trust off the money. How dare they? Every time I see in God we trust, like on a dollar bill, I think, which God? That's what I think. Because you know what God we typically worship in God we trust? Is that dollar bill. <laughs> that, that's on right there. In God we trust. Don't take my name off it because you're worshiping me. That's typically what we do in America. It's about our comfort. And this is why a lot of these different gospels kind of go together to try and say, oh, yeah, it's about our comfort, our blessings, our security. That's what we get. In Paul's day, these false teachers would have been part of a party that was probably one of the most patriotic. And it was called in this area in Galatia, the circumcision party. If anybody invites you to a circumcision party, you'd be like, I don't need to go. Um, doesn't sound like a fun party. But today we have Democratic Party, Republican Party, Libertarian Party. Again, they don't sound like much fun when you get there. And it's a patriotism that starts to co-opt Jesus to our cause rather than worshiping who he actually is as Savior and Lord. And so what people to do today will do, they'll say, Jesus was a socialist. Jesus was a capitalist. Jesus was a refugee. And then we try and co-opt him into our cause. And again, I believe I am blessed to live in America, again, most of the time. <laughs> but as one person said this, any gospel that is true here and is not true for China, Iraq, or India is a false gospel. We believe the good news is good news for every single nation on this planet. And you know, at Element, I do my best not to be political up here. I really do. But sometimes there are certain things we'll talk about. And the way our culture goes, the way the Bible and culture hits, boom, I just will talk about certain things because they intersect and they do that. But it's not my goal just to get up here and be political. If I got a half an hour, 35 minutes to talk to you about something, I want to talk to you guys about Jesus. That's what I want to do. And you can come and talk to me about what your politics are. That's fine. I'll, I'll talk to you what I think as well. But I want to know where you stand biblically because America is not technically in the Bible, but the kingdom of God is. And so what we want to do is look at how the kingdom of God calls us to live in this world. And anything that co-ops Jesus to a cause is a false gospel. All right, here's the last one. So if you're like, ah, that, you're going to like this one. And people are like, oh, hey, that's great. You're going to hate this one. So anybody else, don't throw things at me. I'm going to call this the social justice gospel. Okay, Whew, take a deep breath here. All right, I'm going to read you a quote. The gospel should lead us to feed the poor and help the sick to end races, racism and violence and marginalization. Totally true. Totally true. But the person who wrote that thinks that is all the gospel does. That's all the gospel does. A sandwich and clean water and eliminating a wage gap is not going to save anyone. And I know, I know we are meant to be a people who do bring God's justice to the world. We are meant to step into these places where there is racism, where there are people being marginalized, where, where there are people who need to hear of goodness and grace. We do step into that. But for far too many people, the gospel has become about division. And it's only focusing on social justice that brings division. See, the problem with the human-centered movement of justice, no matter the positives that come out of it, is that it divides human beings into two groups. It divides them into the oppressed and oppressors. That's the two groups. It always divides. And how do you know which one you get into? Well, that's based upon skin tone, gender, economic status, social status. It's going to grant you a welcome into one, and it's going to grant you exclusion from the other. Modern movements of justice that claim to be fighting for justice are not fighting for justice for all people. 
it's only one group, and that tends to divide people. And the Bible's answer to the need for belonging and bringing people together and justice is not shying away from the problems. It's not shying away from the marginalization, the racism. We take that on, but we look at it clearly what it is, and the Bible calls it sin. That's what it calls it. And these movements hate the word called sin. The word sin, it is far more inclusive because biblically there is a, such a thing as being damned by belonging to a certain people group. And it is the group called people. Okay, It's the group called people. That damnation has nothing to do with gender or income or national origin or the melanin in your skin. It has to do with human being a human being. The Apostle Paul says every person, rich, poor, male, female, black, white, brown, yellow, green, purple, blue, religious, secular, right or left, we stand united in the fact, Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. And what if we understood that unflattering truth of our tragic group identity? We have all run from God. We would then hopefully begin to see that evil cannot be reduced to a color of our skin or a gender, or an economic problem. It's a human problem. And since we're human, it's our problem. How do we get rid of the problem? We can't get rid of the problem. Jesus is the one who took care of the problem for us. And a biblically informed reading of history will tell us to care for the oppressed. You take their story seriously, but it would do something else. It would inspire us to see history not just from the perspective of the oppressed, but you would also see it through the perspective of the oppressors. Now, why would you want to see history through the lens of an oppressor? Because we can all too easily become the next round of self-righteous oppressors. That's why. And it's why a lot of people today who demand justice, they can go out and beat and burn and loot others. They are becoming the very thing that they say that they hate. Too often, we find humanity divided into subgroups, oppressors, blameless oppressed. That's not a recipe for inclusivity. That is a recipe for self-righteousness and never-ending tribal warfare. And it is a false gospel. So, what does the real gospel result in? What happens when you see it? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. What that is, is that is Jew and Gentile, that dividing line, that's what Paul's talking about there. That's the only two types of people in the world. Jews, Gentiles, and now we are what? One family. That's the result of the gospel. And this is why when we speak of things in the world, we must center ourselves on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus brings us together by his death and his resurrection, the true gospel. And that is why Paul starts the way he did. What, who I am, why I teach the way I do, what the gospel is, and stop following false gospels that are dividing you and not centering you on the person of Jesus Christ. Because I want to be like Paul and say, may we be a people who stop running after our own agendas and begin to first live in the real good news. That is God's rescue of us. Anything that does not center on what Christ did is a false gospel. And I don't mean to be so negative today about here's eight negative false gospels. What I want to do is take that and then go back to what the real gospel actually is. The real gospel is that God has deemed to love us where we are. He has come to rescue us in the state that we are in because he himself is good. Not because we're so wonderful that he couldn't help himself, but because of his own goodness given to us. And so today, 
I want to encourage you as we invite you to come to this place called communion where you break the crackers like Christ's body was broken for us and you dip it in the wine or the grape juice, which is, represents his blood that was shed for us, that we would actually be a people who understand the unifying thing that comes as the result of what he did. That when we say, I'm a Christian, I believe the gospel, I believe what God did to rescue and save me, in so doing, we would then look around us where we can offer grace and invite people in. It does not mean that everyone's going to agree with you right at the outset. But what Paul does is he doesn't stop talking about the truth of what Christ did to bring us in. He doesn't stop saying everybody is welcome. He doesn't close his arms to the people. He doesn't even close his arms to the false teachers. What he wants them to do is come to know and trust who Christ is. That's what he wants. And this is what we should want as well. I know you get the first two weeks of Galatians. It's like all about the gospel and it's boom, someone's punching you in the gut. And I think it's awesome because that's the Apostle Paul. He likes to brawl on the ground in the back places of just arguing about what the truth of the gospel is. And I love it. And Galatians constantly will go after this. What are we trusting in? Who have we placed our faith in? And it needs to be solely in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, if you are here today, and you would like prayer. Maybe you have some things going on in your mind right now that totally moves you out of the place of trust in the gospel. Everything comes up to your head when you think about, you know, Jesus, and, and it's got to be this, and Jesus was a refugee, or Jesus was a capitalist, or Jesus was, and you're always trying to co-opt him, and you want someone to pray with you to maybe walk through what the true gospel actually is. Uh, right across the way during the songs and after, there'll be a couple people in the lounge to pray with you, to talk with you, to answer any questions that you might have. We would love to be able to pray with you through these things so that we'd be a people who focus more steadily upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as I said throughout the message, we are called to be a generous people. And this is why there's offering boxes by the side doors that you can give online. And, and we do that because God has first been generous with us. We don't pass a plate at Element. What we do is we give you the opportunity to respond, to see how good God has been to us. And so then we then become a people who generously respond as well and it helps element to be a generous church as well and grab some of those questions out of the sermon notes and maybe ask one another this week what what different false gospels have you latched onto or what things kind of catch your eye it's like oh that's real shiny i'm gonna go over there squirrel and you start just walking towards those things because they they look so shiny rather than staying true with your mind focused and your heart focused on what the gospel actually is let us be a gospel focused and centered people and one of the reasons i think god calls us to be in a church together like this is that we can remind one another of that because we do very easily get off track and focus on other things but when you're in a body of believers and friends that are around you we can come alongside each other and say hey that's not the gospel this is not that that's not important but the gospel is paramount in all things so let's follow and trust what christ has done let's pray Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us to be a people who are known first and foremost by the grace that we receive from you. And that grace would translate into a deep and abiding joy. That we would be a people who are really just astounded by the love with which you have loved us. And that we wouldn't turn that love inward in a way that makes us self-centered. But because we are so astounded, it would turn us outward. To want to share that grace with everybody around us. 
that you would be known. And as you are known, that we would start to become a unified people again. And there are so many divisions in our, in our state, in our country, in our world, and it just seems to be getting deeper and deeper as these inroads of self-centeredness seem to just keep digging deeper and deeper. And I ask that you would use your people who would center themselves on the gospel as those who could begin to bring healing and hope and life and to midst, the midst of all that division, that we would be a people who would begin to understand and live and show those around us that as we center on Christ, we can disagree about many things, but our unity is not found in those things. Our unity is found in you and your salvation given to us. So teach us to be a gospel-centered people who find our hope and our life in you. Amen. So we drop the curtains. Uh, guys, just take a couple moments right now and think about what things maybe in our culture, maybe things you watch, things you read, what things start to distract you from what the gospel actually is? What things do you look at and be like, oh, oh yeah, but, oh yeah, but, without first starting in a place of God has brought me to a place to understand my salvation first found in him. And then everything else gets filtered through that, that that becomes our epistemology. The method of how we figure out what is true is the gospel. And so as we kind of go through this first song, take a moment and just say, God, what things are distracting me from what the real gospel is right now? And then as he reveals that to you, lay that before him and say, teach me to focus on what the gospel actually is so you are glorified in this world through my life, by what I say, by what I do, that you be glorified in all things because you are the one who rescues us.